From 12 News, this is Newsmakers. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Ted Nisi. Tim White is off this week. Springtime has turned to summer, and that means Rhode Island's 113 lawmakers have just wrapped up their annual session with the usual flurry of activity. And we're joined this morning by the man at the center of it all, House Speaker Joe Shikarchi. Speaker, thanks for being here. Thanks for coming back to the show. Oh, my pleasure. I always enjoy coming on your show. So we have a lot to talk about related to the session. But before we get there, you won't be surprised. We have to start with the first congressional district race because, and this may surprise some viewers, um, because we aired an interview with you a couple months ago where you laid out why you decided not to run for Congress. All of a sudden last week, you've been a little coy about whether you were rethinking your plans, whether you might flip around and it's gotten the reporters talking so I won't beat around the bush yes or no are you gonna run for Congress in March I met with this reporter from Channel 12 he came <laughs> to my office and he gave an interview and I gave reasons why I was not running at that time they were personal reasons but I you know disclosed them made it very clear and nothing has changed since March and I don't know where these rumors have started um, well, wait a minute. Kathy Gregg came up to you and asked if you were rethinking it, and you, 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 were, you were being coy. You've been in I, I, politics a long time. You know no. how the reporters would interpret that. I, I made it very clear to her that there was nothing changed. I haven't hired a pollster. I haven't hired a consultant. I didn't buy the van. So I, don't, I didn't take, have not taken any overt action that would feed into this. The last week of the session, I was really concentrating on all of the hard work and the legislation that we have done. And I'm not speculating. I'm not doing anything. So nothing has changed since March, and that answer and March still stands as of today. So it will not change between now and next Thursday that you're running for Congress? I can't promise what the future will hold, but <laughs> as of right now, as of today, as the taping of the show right now, I have no plans to run. You know, next Friday is too late. See, this is I your know, last chance. Ne to really... Next Friday at 4 p.m. Yeah. is the deadline. I'm well aware of that. As many of you have told me, yes. many of my, your, your patriots in the <laughs> journalistic field have told me that. I know it's next Friday at 4 p.m. Well, let me ask you, uh, I, I learned late this week that the Democratic Party, the state Democratic Party's executive committee has voted not to endorse. Frankly, I took that as partly a sign that you weren't rethinking it because the speaker would have a strong shot at the endorsement if he wanted it. Um, why was that decision made? I, you'd have to ask them and Chairman McNamara. I was told of that after the fact. I didn't uh, preordain that or encourage that at all. They made that decision on their own, and you'll have to answer. Uh, they'll have to answer the question as to why. I do think, though, it was the right decision to make because I will not be supporting anybody in the race because I have two. Uh, sitting chairman from the House, mm -hmm. and I have a third former representative running. They're all talented, bright uh, candidates, and we'll let the, uh, the members of the 1st District, the voters of the 1st District make that decision. But I will tell you this, that I will work very hard for whoever the Democratic nominee is in September. Well, you've thought a lot about this race, even though you are once again not running as of this morning. I, I, haven't, I don't know where these <laughs> ideas come, these you know, rumors come that I'm going to Italy or somewhere that I'm on vacation. The session ended early because the speaker's going to Italy. All not true at all. <laughs> so, I wish I was going to Italy. But I wish I was I, going to Italy, I, I'm, right. he, I'm here in Rhode Island working with the people. Exactly. So, well, let me ask you just and put on sure. your, your politics guy hat. Um, a lot of political observers feel like this race has been surprisingly quiet. We do have you know, yes. 15, 16 Democrats are running. I think we might have their faces ready uh, to put up on screen uh, while we're talking here. But, you know, as you are you surprised by the level of voter interest activity by the campaigns or is the lack thereof? Yeah, yeah yes. excuse me, yes. Yeah, I am. I, and I think that there's a path forward for anyone to win if they get out early. And they haven't seen that on issues. I haven't 
we've seen that in terms of media. And I'm not necessarily talking about TV. There's cable, which is very cost-effective. There's radio that can be cost-effective right now. And then you can supplement with over the air. I haven't really seen a lot of you know, activity as far as press releases that, go, that have uh, brought forward. So yes, and it's a very short window. It's, it's a race that's really, in essence, a Democratic primary. It's less than 100 days. It's ripe for the taking by anybody. Anybody who wants to come in and could just make a big splash. And I encourage people who are in the race to get out there early and get their name out early because you can build momentum and the fundraising will follow that. But no one has done that and everybody has to make their own decision on how they run their own campaigns. One last question. And of course, I want to get to, to what's going on up there. Uh, the State House, Lieutenant Governor Matos, she released her own internal poll showing her at about 22 percent, which was in this big a field, good for a solid lead in her eyes. Emily's List endorsed her last week. Do you see her as the front runner right now? I would say based on the poll information and no other polling, yeah, I do. I do see her as the front runner right now, but I still think it's anybody's game. It's anybody's game because 22%, I don't necessarily think that that's going to be the winning number. So, and I don't, you know, when someone releases an internal poll, you always want to know what the rest of the poll says. And, you know, they didn't they never re- release it. They yep. never released it. So I'm waiting for the Channel 12 polls <laughs> and I'm waiting for possibly Brown University polls. And they have a, a little bit more air of credibility and independence and see where it is. But it, it's a ripe race for anybody. And I'm quite frankly surprised. So I've talked to almost everybody who's interested in running and I've told them all the same thing, which is to get out there early right now. I mean, you can do uh, billboards, you can do signs on buses, you can do digital ads. You can, there's a lot of things that are not that expensive to get your name recognition way up and get out there. I think if you look at the average voter, they don't even know there's a race coming up. And it's less than 100 days. It's, it's going to be interesting to see when people wake up. I mean, we saw in the governor's race last year, it felt like the race didn't really, really rev up to the last two weeks. And then it was... Well, I think August, yes. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's turn to events at the State House. Before we get to the session, and, and there's a lot to talk about there, I have to ask about the scout situation. I won't go through the entire backstory here, uh, but this is, of course, as people know now, the developer of the Cranston Street Armory, the state official David Patton, allegedly went and said these outrageous things when he visited them. You know, the fallout was, frankly, much bigger than I expected, even though my colleague Eli Sherman had been the first person to report on this. You had the New York Times, the Washington Post writing pretty negative stories about Rhode Island. What was your reaction to that as both a Rhode Islander but also a Rhode Island leader? So I uh, was aware of what happened. I actually met with the scout people after. uh, Oh, you did? I did. Soon after? Yes, shortly thereafter. What, what did you say to them? And what did well, they say? For, first of all, I, uh, we talked basically about their issue, which is they were looking for funding for the proposal they have. But I apologized on behalf of the state, and I you know, made my feelings known to Governor um, McKee. And to his credit, he picked up the phone and called them individually, and he apologized to them. He said, this is not, these two people do not represent Rhode Island. Don't let this cloud your judgment at Rhode Island. Look, it's not a good look for the state. I will certainly admit that. It's bad for the state. It's bad publicity. This is not what you want if you're trying to bring businesses in. You want to start a bioscience. You're trying to bring new business to Rhode Island. This is not a good look. Having said all that, uh, the proposal before this incident happened was not in the governor's budget. The governor was not opposed to this, to the best of my knowledge. He wanted more due diligence. And I applaud that. 
I give them credit for that because we have a lot of projects right now that are either uh, canceled or, or stalled or have questionable funding. And before we get into another big project with a lot of money, let's make sure we're doing it right. So I applaud the due diligence part. Having said that, if Scout were to come back or the governor were to come back and have an allocation in the budget, I would look upon that very positively. But it would be after there'd be a full vetting, a public hearing before the House Finance Committee and the House Fiscal Staff can get their teeth into any kind of a proposal. So I don't think this idea is dead at all. The Scout people actually impressed me, to be honest with you. They have other ventures here in Rhode Island. Not many people know that, but they're building a, a small hotel in Oneyville. They also have another development in Providence. They like Rhode Island. They like Providence. They want to be here. I think that's a good idea. But this is a complicated transaction. You have the city of Providence wanting to put in about $10 million dollars. You have the state owning it and relinquishing or selling or leasing or licensing control, whatever you want to say, and then continuing to fund it into, in the hands of a private developer. So there are a lot of moving parts, and we need to make sure, again, forgetting what happened in Philadelphia, we need to make sure this is a good deal for the state. And I'm very judicious with state taxpayers' dollars, so I want to make sure we do it right. You said it's not dead, but I, the governor said yesterday, Thursday, we're taping on Friday morning, he told reporters he doesn't think it's a good deal. And obviously from the tenor of his comments recently, even more so since you the mean scandal. The, the, the scout deal. The scout deal, yes, mm-hmm. excuse me. Um, you know, if the governor decides he's just against this project, does that mean it's dead? There's no way it would... I, it's hard for me so, to imagine you so all moving forward without his support. I haven't seen that. I, I would just ask anybody uh, if it's dead, why, what's the result? I know there was an outside study being done. I haven't seen that. So I would reserve judgment to I see that study. And if, the, if it's dead, there has to be a reason why. I don't necessarily think that based on what I know now. Now, he may have, the governor I'm talking about, he may have information that I don't have. So he may know something. uh, I don't know. But this went out for an RFP. Scout was the uh, prevailing party in that RFP process. And I certainly uh, think... If nothing else, we owe them a fair look and, and, and to complete due diligence before we make a decision on it. All right, let's turn to the session. This was your third session as House Speaker. Um, simple question, what, was your, what were you most proud of? What bill, what, what action were you most proud of this session? Clearly, clearly this, uh, it, here, the budget simply was, I thought, was one of the best budgets I've done. Even though it's my third year because of the anomaly of COVID, it's my fourth budget. So I'm proud of that. No tax increase. Matter of fact, the tax cut. We cut taxes on small businesses. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that we got bipartisan support. The overwhelming majority of the Republicans supported the budget. I'm also proud that we have biosciences in there. We have significant additional funding for housing in there. And also, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we got it done in less than three hours. That's like a world record in terms of budgets. Yeah, I actually checked it. I think it beat. Matty Yellow had a really quick one, but I think you beat it. I, I, I did. 15 minutes. You did. You about che- 12 you checked minutes. Too. I oh, 12 checked. Minutes. Ch- it was close, but right. yeah, all right. You were, you were ahead there. Um, flip side of the coin, biggest disappointment. I wouldn't say biggest disappointment. The one that's unresolved left is ADUs, uh, part of the housing package. I, I said on budget. For the people at home, these are sometimes I, I, called I, granny flats. I, I, I was just going to explain what they were. You took the words out of my mouth. ADU stands for accessory dwelling units. And it was the number one priority of AARP. And it, was, when it, made, it would have made a significant dent in the housing crisis. We have a severe housing crisis in Rhode Island. We need to look at solutions. Uh, 
we passed this year, and I expect the governor to sign 13 out of 14 housing bills that will make a significant impact in a positive way. Hopefully, we'll unleash a lot of private development. As you know, we're last in the country with building permits. So I'm looking forward to that. ADU, the accessory dwelling units, the granny flats, as you call them, the number one uh, AARP priority, did not make it through. It made it through the House, but didn't make it through the Senate. So we're going to pass that early in the year. I think there's just a little bit of confusion. Some people- The Senate has a fear about it. It sounds like that they become Airbnb bees or something yeah, like so that. We, that's a legitimate concern, but if you actually read the legislation, it strictly prohibits that. So these bills, we talk about the housing package, the 14 bills, They what we passed over to the Senate, and they agreed to pass 13 over to the governor, are all bills that have significantly changed after we introduced them. They were worked on with the city and town planners, the League of Cities and Towns, housing advocates, private developers, the um, Rhode Island Builders Association. A lot of people changed that, and that was a legitimate fear about them turning them into, so we prohibited that. We made changes and modifications. This, these, pack, these bills in this package were bills that everybody worked on, a very collaborative effort. That's the way I like to govern. That's the way I like to pass legislation. And everybody who had an interest in this, their concerns were heard. And when we could accommodate them, we did. We're, we're heading up on a break, but one more question on housing. Um, it is, it's, we've all say it's, it's your top priority as speaker. You've made it. You've after the budget. It, after after the, the budget. budget. But you've put it at the top of the agenda in a way maybe it wasn't before. When do you think we'll start to see if, if your initiatives here succeed, you know, real movement, you know, I don't know, and I don't know what that would be, a big increase in units built or a a dip in the median price of houses making it more affordable for people. Or or more building permits. So the the bills that we passed do not go into effect until the 1st of January. So you ask me that question next year and hopefully we'll have six months of data to look at that. Uh, I was hoping that we could move them along faster, but it was just consensus by a lot of cities and towns. They wanted uh, a time to adjust and adapt to this and digest this. So we, we recognize that and we put the dates as January 1st. All right, we have to take a break. As I said, when we come back on Newsmakers, we're going to talk some more about the big issues that made it and didn't make it over the course of the legislation session. We'll see you back here on the other side of the break. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Ted Nisi. Tim White is off this week. We are joined by House Speaker Joe Shikarchi, wrapping up the legislative session, talking about uh, what's ahead for next year. I have to talk about another bill that's been big talking point. You probably know which one I'm going to bring up. Leobor. This is the police discipline bill, the law enforcement officers bill of rights. Every year, both chambers have said it's a priority to deal with this ever since the George Floyd protests. Yet again, it didn't get over the finish line. Now, I know Senator Ruggiero took the blame, said he sent you a bill the, the, too late in the day. There's no blame well, to take. He there's, said it was. He said he took responsibility or something along those lines. But look, it, you know, I've covered the General Assembly a long time. When the Speaker and the Senate President want something to get done, it usually can get done, especially over multiple sessions. And this still hasn't gotten done. What is the sticking point that's keeping you guys from getting this across the finish line? It's not a sticking point. We have new sponsors. We had new sponsors in the House this year. Uh, so it, it's a complicated issue. And you have a lot of people who are what I call stakeholders. You have police, uh, police unions, you have police chiefs, you have cities and towns, and you have advocates. And unfortunately, sometimes all of them don't want to talk to each other. They want to talk at each other. And that makes it difficult to negotiate. Uh, that, that's part of the process. But I want to congratulate the Senate for getting a bill 
drafted that addresses a lot of those concerns and getting it through the Senate with a very, very large majority. So to them, that's a, we're a much step forward. This is the first year of a two-year term. I'm going to continue to work on that this summer. I spent last summer, even though I was in a campaign, I worked very hard on wage theft, and that's a whole other issue we can talk about if you want to, but wage theft and misclassification, and we got that through. That was a perennial issue. It didn't get a lot of headlines, but I spent 200 hours over the last year working on that, negotiating with people who didn't want to be in the same room together. I had the attorney general, I had the labor community, I had the business community, and they weren't all getting along, and I had to separate them and meet with them individually to come to a consensus on a bill. I think this is that same type of problem. I am committed to work on it and continue to work hard on it. It's important. But I will tell you that my membership did not want to take that bill up. The sponsors in the bill, the advocates in, uh, on my floor, not necessarily in the community, but on my floor, thought it came over too late. I think so it was, it, the, it, was it the last day that the Senate It was the last it? couple of hours. Mm. And, and, and to the Senate's credit, there were amendments coming the day before, the day of, uh, on that bill. So when it came over, very significant bill, as you said, for those same reasons, I don't want to be the speaker that brings a bill like that on, at, on the floor at 11 o'clock and forcing people to vote on it without a public hearing, without input from everybody, and just take a yes or no, up or down vote on it. There is no need to rush that bill and to just to get a bill done. I want to get the best bill done. But advocates would say, that, you know, going all the way back to the George Floyd process, there is a reason to, I won't yeah. say rush that bill, yeah. but to prioritize the bill, to try yeah. to move as quickly as is reasonable on that bill. Yeah. And it has been what, three years now yeah. since the summer yeah, of those protests? Different sponsors, different issues. You know, we all talk about George Floyd. George Floyd was a criminal matter. This labor wouldn't apply to George Floyd, a criminal matter. It has to do with civil discipline. I mean, the, the people have to understand that. In the last five or six years, I think there's only been uh, like five hearings in Libor. So th let's not get away from this, that we don't want to pass a, a law or a bill just for the sake of pa passing it. I want to pass a good law that I can be proud of and stand behind. This will get done. It will get done, but I will tell you the sponsors of the bill, Representative Hull, Representative Noray, Representative Stewart, nobody wanted to vote on that bill the last hour. Can you think about this for one minute? What kind of a speaker would I be? What kind of criticism would I take from you in all the press, including some of the radio show people who are still criticizing me today, if I brought, for not doing this, but bringing that bill to the floor at midnight or 11 o'clock and passing that but bill that's a, without that's a, a hearing. Well, sure, I mean, speaker, but that's a straw man. I mean, then it, if, if there's something that was being worked on hard in January and February so that maybe you could have, yeah. you know, brought the people yeah. together. I know there's a lot yeah. of competing I, bills, I, but I, in I, the end, I, you I, have to prioritize I know. Them. I, I will tell you that the Senate's version of the bill was not the House version of the bill. So what was I going to do? Was I going to pass the Senate version and, and kind of bypass my reps and my, my chairman and my deputy speaker on the House floor for the sake of doing a bill? Or do I say, let's pause. This is the first year of a two-year cycle. We've come halfway through the process. Let's continue to work to get this done. Do you think what, it'll pass next year? I do. You do, in the House and in the Senate, you think it'll I, go to the governor next year? I do, year? but I think it may also be slightly different than what the Senate sent over. Mm -hmm. But you think some version of Leah Borg Yep. reform, overhaul, whatever you want to call Not it. Not we'll some version, a good version. Okay, we'll, we'll hold you to that and then check next year. I expect you to. All right, so let's talk. You mentioned the budget already, but let's go back to the budget a little bit. One thing, um, I'm just curious a little about behind the scenes. Uh, when you were negotiating the budget, one of the governor's biggest most high-profile proposals was lowering the sales tax to 6.85%. Um, there never seemed to be a super strong appetite on either in either chamber for that proposal uh, overall, but 
you know, I've seen times before where a speaker and a Senate president decided not to go with some of the governor. Sometimes it's a big fight. Sometimes they sort of accept it. When did you sort of let the governor or his team know this doesn't have the support in the House to, to make it into the budget? Last week or so before the budget came out. So it was still alive quite yes. late in the process. Mm-hmm. And did was that was there a big push from the governor's office to keep it in or did they? The governor's number one priority has been 365 learning and congratulations to him he did a good job he got that through it's part of the budget it was significant for him out of school learning he's likes to consider himself and i do too as the education governor to his credit he's very concerned with education policy here in rhode island so i give him credit for that but he spent a lot of good political capital going around the state enlisting cities and towns to support his program and, and i explained to him and i encouraged him i first of all I congratulate him for trying to lower sales tax i think it's a good idea i, I encourage him to come back next year and i told the governor to use that political capital that he has to now work on the legislature and convince and meet with members and convince them why the proposal that was before us would have helped the family, each Rhode Island family about 60 or $70 a year, roughly cost about 24 to $26 million a year. The Senate and the House and membership did not feel that that was an appropriate use of the benefit, clearly did not outweigh the uh, cost of it. They wanted that money to be spent on education, uh, in early learning, Head Start, a lot of other programs. The Senate's priority, to their credit, they wanted to cut sales tax, excuse me, not um, tangible tax. They did a significant uh, reduction in that. That's going to help about 75 business, small businesses in Ireland will not have to pay a tangible tax. That's a big deal, and that will help them. That's a cumbersome tax, not only for the people who have to fill out those forms and estimate the value of their computers and, and furniture, but also the cities and towns who have to process those applications and go collect them. And when it's not filled out, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a heavy tax for a small amount of gain. So we were able to eliminate that. And that sales tax reduction went to a significant small business tax reduction. But I encourage the governor to come back, and I'll continue to work with him on it. But he needs to work hard within the General Assembly. It was a policy decision. That's all it was. It was not personal. And it was my membership just didn't have the appetite for a, a very, very modest sales tax cut when there were a lot of needs in the community. So um, another question on the budget. Uh, the government, you alluded, first of all, earlier to projects that are stalled. One that comes to mind, of course, is the soccer stadium, Tidewater Landing. The governor indicated reporters yesterday, quote, we have provisions in the budget to help and assist with the housing on the other side of the river. That's the non-stadium part of this big Tidewater complex. Um, is that is he indicating that there's an expectation that a bunch of the housing money you've allocated or some portion of it will probably go toward the other side of Tidewater, the housing part of Tidewater? I think you have to ask him what he wants and, and Secretary Pryor as well, what they what they. So that wasn't brought up to you as we're, no. we plan to use this no, program there, there, toward there, Tidewater? There is no allocation in the budget for Tidewater. There is no allocation for Superman building. There certainly wasn't anything for Fane, and there was nothing in for Scout. There was nothing asked for, and there was nothing put in the budget for those as well. Now, there is flexibility. He is the governor. He has the right to you know, uh, fund programs. There is flexibility in the housing uh, department. There's flexibility in commerce, but there are also reasonable caps that were put in by the General Assembly. So we'll look forward to that. And I would just caution anybody that when we are looking at these big projects, we have to look at not only the viability of it, the economy that we're in, the environment, interest rate environment, but also the, who our partners are in this. And, you know, are they do they have the, 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 the financial fortitude to get the job done? So I will defer to the governor. I don't really particularly know what he was talking about. I heard that actually this morning. Uh, um, so I would encourage you to reach out to him and his. So it's not one of those behind the scenes. All of you know this program's really for Tidewater, but no. we're just not saying that yet or no. something like that. Okay. Not at all. Not at all. 
Um, uh, procedural question. And the same thing with the key, the South Key. There was mm -hmm. money in for the South That's Key. That's this pier in East Providence. Yes, yeah. that, that we, we took the, that allocation out of the budget as well. We left them with the allocation we gave them last year, and we're asking them to come back to the General Assembly uh, by February 1st to show us the plan. I'm very cautious about that project as well. Actually, that that made me think of something that didn't That's have from my your list hometown, here. Your yeah. <laughs> the, um, there's a, I noticed a line in the budget bill that says on the South Key project, for example, if they don't get the matching funds they need, sounds like they kind of forfeit their allocation of the federal relief money. Well, because if I'm, I'm, I'm very careful that, that South Key's allocation last year's budget, not this year's, but right. last year's budget, uh, was opera money. And right. if that money doesn't get spent, we lose that money. So I'm very careful, and I'm not about to give anybody any more money until I see what they did with the last year's money. So there was actually consideration of taking that money out of this year, but at the end of the day, Mayor DeSilver and some of the advocates who wanted that uh, South Key port to continue, we left that money in and we gave them a timeline to come back to the General Assembly by February 1st to give us a, basically a status report of where they are. But if they haven't performed and they have not um, done what they're supposed to do and worked with uh, Secretary uh, Tanner, then that money will come back to the state and be reallocated. I don't want to be the speaker who loses $60 million for a project that doesn't happen. Well, I'm, Not I'm, on my watch. Briefly, I'm curious because we only have, we have less than two minutes left. Do you expect next year is the last year to allocate the ARPA money before you have to give it back, as you alluded to? Do you think there's going to be a lot of rerouting of ARPA money that no. didn't get used, or you don't think there's going to be a lot of those pockets it, of money? No, we did. there were pockets this year, and we used them. I used mm. some of that money for early education, right. uh, Head Start program, child care. Uh, we've used. We, every uh, uh, dollar for ARPA has been allocated. Now, if it doesn't get spent, we can look at it again next year, but I have every indication that's going to be spent. Um, the, a bill, toward only a minute left, that uh, you lost a lot of your Democrats on was the doubling the campaign donation limit to $2,000. In, you know, 30 seconds, what's your case to people at home might be skeptical about prioritizing a bill that would make campaign donation limits higher? Um, it was not my bill, and it was not a Democratic bill. It came out of the Minority Caucus. It passed both chambers. It, it's something that people were looking at that hadn't been addressed, that hadn't been indexed in over 31 years. So I thought uh, the Minority Caucus wanted to have an up or down vote on it. Uh, I brought an up or down vote. It passed. It wasn't you know, particularly uh, landslide, but it was a good margin. And it had 41 both, to 29. I wrote 41 that. to 29 is a good number. And it had. <laughs> oh, not usually for a Democratic Speaker of the House. <laughs> well, it was a Republican initiative. It wasn't. A, you know, people were saying this is the Speaker's bill. I had nothing to do with the bill. Oh, I, I actually I actually supported it because I think that we, sh we need to look at these things. 15 seconds. And we need to get more people involved in government. Person, I, community who was against it in committee. It was supported uh, either neutral comments or positive reports in committee. All right, we could have done another half hour, but that's all the time we have, have uh, this back. week. Have House me back. Exactly. House Speaker Joe Shikarti, thanks for being here. We'll keep an eye on the filing deadlines just in case. You can get Newsmakers on the go. Subscribe to our podcast right now. We'll see you next week on Newsmakers.